Alrighty, everyone, welcome back to Free From Missing Out. My name is David, and this week I'm going to teach you how to get rich. All right, but before we get to that, we have a couple housekeeping items to get to. For those of you who are back, welcome back. Thanks for tuning in again. And for those of you who are new, welcome to the podcast. We are talking about how to live in a connected world. If you missed last week's episode, we talked about the quarter life crisis. And segueing from that, this week we're going to talk about money. And okay, I'm not going to be teaching you how to get rich, but we are going to talk about how money has changed, how making money has changed, how our jobs have changed. And are millennials really as unprepared as everyone makes it seem like we are? Um, if you read articles or listen to social media, you would see that millennials have no retirement, that we don't know how to manage our money, we're wasting it, and we're job hoppers. So we're going to break some of that down. We're going to talk about how millennials are changing work, how the internet has really shaped how people make money, and you know, get into a little bit of David's opinion as well. But without any further ado, let's cue that intro music I found online. So the first thing I want to talk about is how how the internet has changed how we make money. And I think it's, you can see this a lot if you've been on social media or YouTube recently, and you've seen some of these popular influencers advertising, I guess, the modern day get rich quick, talking about setting up a online store or getting into real estate, how you can do it with no money without leaving your couch, and you can do it while you work a full-time job. And I think I could do a whole episode on the validity of these and if there's any, you know, if they can actually do deliver the things that they're promising. But keeping it separate, there's a reason why they exist. And there is some valid claim they make that the landscape of how we make money is changing. So when they are claiming how you can make all this money from your couch, it might sound idealistic, but it really is valid. It, the internet has completely shifted the way in which money can be exchanged hands. No longer do you need a, you know, you don't need a storefront. You don't need a brick and mortar shop sitting somewhere. You can connect everything from your computer. You can sell a product. You can deliver a service without needing to set up the same infrastructure we used to. And this extends past brick and mortar stores or setting up a storefront to sell a product there's so many resources now that are publicly available i I mean think about google for instance it's amazing how many products you can think of from google that are completely free you can use google docs and all their online editing suite while also using folder structures and programming applications and you can house data there as well starting for starting a company. So rather than having to set up the same infrastructure that companies used to have to worry about, a lot of this stuff can be completely outsourced, outsourced to these large companies. And that's completely changing the accessibility of starting a business for our generation. 
Now, how has this affected how we go to work? You know, people there's still level hot eh, there's still record high levels of employment. Our generation is still going to work at companies, but I think we're seeing a larger move towards entrepreneurship and online businesses than we've seen in the past. But in addition to all the ways that we see that we can make money now, the internet and being so connected has changed how we perceive our careers. So there was a study done by Bentley University that suggests that the millennial sense of a career, we see it as something that we have to dynamically adapt to. So it requires us to be independent and more entrepreneurial than past generations. So this also affects our goals. I think in the past, if you talk to your parents and your grandparents, the goals were to get to that C-suite level. It was to get that nice cornered office, your nine to five, you were there on the dot at nine and you go home precisely at five. And that dynamic is completely changing. With a completely connected world, hours don't have to be so defined because you're working with people that might be across the country or across the globe. Being flexible is becoming a much higher priority for us. Now, this survey, the specific stats I'm referencing here, this survey said that only 13% of respondents define their career goals as climbing the corporate ladder or achieving a senior, a senior position. By contrast of this, nearly two-thirds said that their ultimate goal was to start a successful company. Now, to me, this really shows how we value independence. And flexibility means more to us than salary or title. Now, this isn't a bad thing. More companies being started mean more jobs for the people, more flexibility, and more change and progress in the workforce. But obviously, all of us can't just leave our jobs. But companies realize this. A lot of companies are shifting towards more flexible policies and work from home schedules that allow people to choose more about how they do their work and focus more on results rather than how we're getting there. But this has to be done. According to the survey, 77% of millennials say that flexible hours are a key to boosting their productivity. And companies realize this. They see these stats come out. And so they are shaping, well, not they, we as a generation are shaping how companies are changing their culture. And that's important because while a lot of us might go become entrepreneurs, there still is going to exist this corporate structure. And the positive that I see out of this is that that corporate structure is getting better, that it's not so focused on such a rigid a rigid culture, but rather it really does tailor itself to individual needs. And now that may be touching and feely and whatever, but it's still important because you want your employees to be happy. You want them to be productive. And ultimately striking that balance is very important for businesses going forward. But this is a double-edged sword. And not just my personal experience, but also in practicality. This flexible culture has a large negative side. By allowing people to 
work when they want, per se. You also have work on all the time. When you no longer are leaving your work computer at work because you are now working from home, we are much more connected to work than we were before. So this same Bentley survey found that of the 80% of millennials who have a work smartphone, 90% of them are regularly checking their work email outside of the normal business hours of 9 to 5, with almost 40% reporting that they always check their work email when they're checking their phone. So is this really as of is this as good of a change as I first to spoke about? I'm not sure, but I think it really leaves the decision up to the individual. And it puts more pressure on us in different ways. While in the past there might have been pressure that if you're not feeling well, you're going to the office and if you didn't feel like working at nine or you had an appointment, you might not have had the same flexibility of moving that. Now we have to deal with how do we disconnect? The same way we're struggling to disconnect from social media and our friends, we now have to worry about how we're going to disconnect from work, how we're going to not respond to our boss at 8 p.m., even though we both know that we're on our phones. I think that's the dynamic we're really going to have to learn how to navigate through as the world continues to advance in this realm and flexible hours become more of a norm across all types of organizations. On a positive note, while we're dealing with that stress of how to disconnect from work with our smartphones, the good news is is that apparently we are loaded. According to a Pew Research study, Millennial households, or those headed by people aged 22 to 37, have a median income of $69,000, which is higher than any figure in the past 50 years for that particular age group. Now, unfortunately, that's not the exact picture, as I'm sure you expect at this point by how I seem to have a pro and a con for everything I say. There was a Charles Schwab study that was done that nearly 30% Sorry, 43% of millennials have had to borrow money within the past year from their parents to pay for necessities, not trips or luxuries. So maybe this money isn't going as far as it should. Now, this is also parroted by that same Pew study that I just referenced, also found that purchasing power has stayed relatively flat for the past 40 years, meaning that even though we're making more money, we can't buy more things comparatively and to tack on to the bad news that same study that was done by charles schwab which was called the young adult financial literacy study found that 76 percent of young adults so 16 to 25 believe that they're headed for a better financial future than their parents yet 53 percent of them are counting on inheritance from their parents and that most of them also believe they're going to retire by 60. Now, this doesn't paint a great image. It makes it look like Generation Z and also Millennials think this future is going to be so bright, but don't necessarily think they're going to have to do much to get there when they're saying that we're going to retire by 60, and yet we're still going to have to borrow money from our parents, and we still are borrowing money from our parents. 
So they're not setting themselves up well. And clearly our money isn't going that far, even though we're making more than past generations at the same point. So where does that leave us? So unfortunately, if you thought I was going to switch it to a positive note, you're wrong. I'm going to go back to more negatives. So according to Stephanie Corns, she's the managing director of corporate reputation for Charles Schwab. She thinks is that the details for our generation are getting lost in translation. And this comes back to managing expectations. So she says that our goals seem to be separated from our actions in that while she says while 51% of young adults, so our generation, have some level of debt, only 3% of them would pay down that debt if given an extra $1,000. Now that statistic is not good. You know, I'm inclined to argue with her viewpoint initially. It's pretty much insinuating that our generation is too stupid to actually rationalize how to spend our money and view long-term goals. This, I mean, admittedly, I think this has some merit to it. I worked with financial literacy during college and helped teach college students about how to prepare, how to budget. And I think there is some sort of disconnect between what we do now and our financial future. Now, this thought seems to be echoed by Adam Vega. He's a certified financial planner at United Capital. He thinks that our generation is too inundated with social media, that our viewpoint and goals are being constantly shaped by that. And this is giving us an, it's giving us an incorrect estimate of what our future life and retirement will cost. So we see all these success stories, and this brings me back to the get-rich-quick schemes. It seems like every other day you're seeing a millennial who's rich, whether it's an influencer or one of these tech entrepreneurs. We're seeing all these people get rich, and that leads us to be optimistic about our future, that we might not be in the place we are now, but we expect that to come, that all we need is that moment that cut that you know that catalyst that's going to push us over the edge into immense financial success and we'll meet all of our goals but in reality that's not going to happen for most of us so what do we do in the meantime it means we can't just set arbitrary goals you can't just say i want to retire at 40 or i want to travel the world with all the money i'm going to have that means nothing what it means is that we have to make plans. And that's something that seemingly, according to the survey, our generation isn't great at doing because we can't separate the now from then. But don't worry. We'll get into my opinion in a second. But for now, now I want to add some positive notes to this, that we're not all just idiots with our money who can't rationalize paying off debt or retirement or separate this fantasy future from reality. So there's another study done by Consumer Finances. Oh, wait, not but done by Consumer Finances. It was a recent survey of commu- con- consumer finances that found that households headed by someone under 35 have a median retirement savings of $12,300. 
And I know what you're thinking. That's not a lot. I agree with you. It's not that much. But if you look at the median retirement income or retirement amount for the households headed by someone 55 to 64, it's only $120,000. Now, I know that $120,000 still equates to an average savings of, you know, nearly more than two times the amount of what millennials are saving. It's still not nearly enough. So whether you measure success by just sheer amounts of monthly savings, if you're not meeting your retirement goals, it really doesn't matter. Whether you have $120,000 or $12,000, neither is enough. But it's not necessarily all our fault. According to research by Pew Charitable Trusts, more than two-thirds of our generation don't even have access to a 401k plan or any employer-matched retirement plan. But those who do, so the millennials that do have access to one of those plans, over 90% of them are using them. So this counteracts you know, some of this that we're stupid, and it might not all be in our hands, per se. And on top of that, those millennials that are contributing to their retirement plans, on average, they're contributing 10% of their salary, which is in line, if not more, than past generations. So it also classifies 40% of millennials as quote-unquote super savers, whatever the hell that means. But it means they're saving more than 10% of their income towards retirement, which is a pretty lofty goal, especially when I just talk through all of the reasons that we have no money, apparently, and we're borrowing it from our parents. Another point to we might not be as stupid as everyone seems to be thinking we are, according to NerdWallet, they do analysis every year of consumer expenditure. This group's consumers spending into various categories and based on that they use it to depict patterns or trends in spending and where certain markets might be growing but the point is that they found that millennials are actually spending less than other generations in several categories that would be deemed frivolous Um, this includes clothing entertainment alcohol and the like so we're not spending money on stupid things we're saving as much as others are for retirement. We're making more than past generations have. Yet the mindset doesn't seem to be there, as we talked about previously. And this leads to an ultimately bleak outcome. I mean, I know I want to put a positive spin on this, and we are smart, and you know that's supposed to be the message is how we can make the world better. But ultimately, not everything is great. So there has to be something we can do. And that's what I always always want to get back to with this is what's the action we can take to get better? If this is a mindset issue, which most of it seems to be. Okay, I do want to pause there for one second to add in before everyone bombards me with comments. I know it's not all mindset. I know that our generation is facing other issues in terms of rising student debt, rising housing costs. A lot of this factors into what money we have left over. But ignoring those, we can't ignore the fact that we aren't saving as much. We're not, at least according to how we should be. We are setting unrealistic goals compared to action. So I think some of this does get down to a mindset. And this mindset is being fostered by what we see of 
all these people our age, if not younger, making millions and millions of dollars seemingly doing easy work. That we're not happy with our jobs, so we don't seem to put the effort in. We don't see a career as something to aspire to, but rather we want to build a brand or build a business. So we need to connect ourselves with that. We need to connect the dots between our end goal and how we want to get there. But I know this has been a lot. This has been a lot of bad news and pretty much telling you how the, the world is bleak and hopeless because we're all idiots and can't plan our money accordingly. But I want to get away from that. I want to get back to what we can do. What, how do I think we can make this better and use this connected world to really help us and shape our goals? If we are as dumb as everything makes us seem, let's just assume the worst, assume everyone is stupid. How do we get on the right track? How do we prepare for this retirement? How do we prepare for the future that we all want? Well, I think first of all, we have to set reasonable goals, actionable goals that can get done (laughs) reasonably. And I know I just repeated myself in multiple different ways, but that's all right. We're going to hammer home that point. But what I mean is that don't set goals based on what others are doing. Don't set your goals on just very blanketed statements of, I want to retire at 45, so I'm going to become a millionaire before then, and that'll be it. Rather focus on action items of what you want to do. And maybe retirement isn't the goal. But whatever the goal might be, understand what the finish line has to be. And from there, we need to set a roadmap. This is the crucial part. This is the part that our generation seems to lack based on you know, what we talk through today and just talking to people my age. We're not la- we, we are lacking that planning from point A to point B to point C to point D. We're not focusing on the steps, but rather the start and the end. So you're in a career on Wall Street, and so the plan is stay there until you're 30, making a lot of money, and then retire. And that seems great, but it's not a plan. If a plan hinges on one key aspect, it's not very good. If Wall Street doesn't work out, you hate it after six months, your plan needs changing. And this is where we get back to the basics of saving. But I don't want to sound like a parent on a broken record talking about, you know, take your $100 every month and put in your piggy bank and 100 years from now, you'll maybe have enough to survive for a month. No, that's, that's not the point. The point of this is the drive action in each of us, right? We're supposed to use this connected world that we have to benefit ourselves. So ultimately, it, it involves getting out there to maybe thinking that there's other ways to do this besides just packing money into my savings account and watching it grow at 0.01% a year. But it's finding your interest. There's everything from getting involved in real estate to apps that automatically invest your spare change in the stock market. A lot of this involves exploring. And there's so many resources available to us now that there's no excuse. So maybe the parental plan doesn't make sense. The $100 a month forever. That's fine. That's great. But find something that works and then learn it, apply it, see if you like it. If you don't, change it. That's the beauty of it. On the flip side, if you're one of that, you know, that 3% or sorry, 
the 97% who wouldn't use the extra $1,000 to pay off your debt, you know, I think it's time to reevaluate what you're spending money on. And if it's always been hard, just like flossing or brushing your teeth at in bed, if it's always been hard for you to save money and put aside that you know, X amount of dollars, it's about getting to why we're not doing it. So if such a large chunk of our generation is unable to save or just unwilling, I think it's breaking down why we're doing it. And I think it is partially social media and what we've been talking about with this being interconnected and seeing everyone else. I think a lot of us are hedging, you know, not hedging, sorry, wrong word. A lot of us are betting our retirement on our future success that we don't see the urgency now because all we see ahead of us is immense success, whether it's that that's in our career or the company we're starting. We don't think what we're doing now is making a difference. And there's some credit to that. You know, I see the argument of I'm not making enough now. I'm only saving $50 a month towards my retirement. I could do that for 100 years and I still would not be able to retire. It doesn't make a difference. But I would argue that it does make a difference and not because of the strict monetary amount. You know, I could break this down into you know, compounding interest and how that money will grow, but that's not the point. If you want to learn how compounding interest works, go read Finance 101 or some other bullshit. What I want to get back to is not that the money is going to grow and that's why you should do it, but that just like any other habit, it's hard to break. If you go 20 years not saving for your retirement because you're betting on the future, optimistically, sure, you make it to that future. You're now making $300,000, $500,000, million a year, but your entire life you've never put money to your retirement. So that money's gone somewhere else. That means you've been constantly upgrading your lifestyle with more money rather than adjusting and accounting for what you've been saving. Because ideally, if you're saving that $50 now, if you make more money, you might say, oh, $50, I can do 75, I can do 100. And every time you start making more money, that change becomes habitual, that you upgrade that savings with your upgrade in salary rather than changing your life. But I could be wrong. If you want to go and you know you think you have the rigor to sit down at 30 years old when you're now making your six-figure salary and sit down and drastically increase your budget in terms of how much you're saving for retirement to make up for lost time, go for it. And I guess the way I think about this is fitting your money to your life rather than fitting your life to your money. And what I mean by that is if you're making a lot of money, or you just started making a lot of money, do you necessarily need to change your life to match that money? Do you need to go buy a new thing or you know, get a new apartment just because you can? Or should you fit that money to your life and realize you have now have extra to put towards savings or something more you know, conservative, I guess? And in the end, don't stress so much. There's no point you have to be at now. And I think that's a huge misconception. Can, mis, mis, good job. Misconception created by articles and our parents that we have to be at a certain point now. Or, you know, you're, you're 25 years old. You should have X amount of dollars saved for your retirement. You should have this percentage going to your 401k. You should be making this much. This much. It goes back to what we talked about, the quarter life crisis and what's causing all this stress is we're trying to benchmark ourselves about where we're supposed to be 
based on other people. And other people are completely different and have completely different goals. But please, just just make a fucking plan. <laughs> One way or another, I don't care what you want to do. You want to travel, you want to blow everything, do it. But make a plan. And not just an A to Z plan. I mean, by that I mean letter A, skip everything else, just get to Z. Plan the steps in between. Plan the milestones you want to be at and set those goals for yourself. All right, but I'll pause for a second. <laughs> as much as I love ranting about financial decisions into a microphone, I do understand that it gets old after a while. But what? Okay, one more, one more piece of advice. Our generation has to budget. From what I've seen, working with college students to talking to friends and family, you have to understand what's coming in and what's going out to understand painting a financial picture for yourself. Okay, I'm done now, I promise. With all that education out of the way, that immensely valuable education that I provide, with all that out of the way, we have to go back to the whole scenario. We really do have everything going for us in terms of making a successful financial future. We have a completely connected world that we can access customers and viewers across the globe. We have full business infrastructure that exists one click away. No longer do you have to worry about getting your CFO and your accounting department and your tax department and your storefront and your marketing department all together. There's hundreds of online services that can do all of that. Really, all you need now is an idea. Because I'm with you. I'm with you that a career path isn't for everyone. That some people do need to go towards entrepreneurship but there has to be rationale behind it there i wouldn't jump into things with the goal of making a shit ton of money because typically i think if you go in with that mindset it's not for the right reasons you're going to try and fit your idea towards you know making your million dollars rather than pursuing what you actually enjoy with that i think that's all i had to rant about money for today Thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to subscribe and share with your friends. It would really help me out. I think we are almost on every platform now besides Apple Music, so you should be able to find us um, anywhere you find your normal podcasts. With that, this has been Free For Missing Out. My name is David, and I'll catch you guys next week. Have a good one. (laughs) 